Simmons, uh, H is not in the building today. Uh, she is uh, doing some adult stuff, and uh, we're gonna let her she adult got the today. panel, man. She has some fancy <laughs> panel. She didn't yeah, talk. hey, That's but she, yeah, hey, she adulting today, man. So, hey, yeah, let's man. let her adult and yeah, let's sure. let's get to it. So, hey, first, first thing first, man, you got a lot of you got a lot of stuff happening, man, in your in your real in your real life, and so, man, sure. let's talk about uh, first, first, we'll talk about Atlanta. And then we'll talk about Norfolk, man, because, like, yo, we got to talk about blackboards in STEM. So, on you. Listen, listen man, like, I, I'm excited, man, like, taking STEM to the people. And, uh, you know, I, I've had the opportunity through our work at the Micron Foundation to take our chip camp and partner with organizations in Atlanta and really impact lives and kids. Like, I had a young blood come up and say, like, yo, Simmons, like, we need to do this for two weeks. Um, and so shout out to Steam Truck, um, who was a, a major partner, Big Brothers, Big Sisters in Atlanta. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, and now we're hosting Chip Camp at Norfolk State University. Uh, and like with, with almost 100 young folks. Um, and literally, it's just like life altering, seeing all of the camp counselors are black women from like, Wow. STEM disciplines at Norfolk State University. I mean, yeah. the president of the university. So, so for the so hold up, hold up, hold up. So for the folks that are listening that may be late to STEM, what is STEM as defined? Because you taught it. Yeah, science, technology, engineering, and math. Some people add arts in there and using artistic uh, endeavors as a uh, intersection to bring folks into STEM. Uh, and so uh, it, that's that's what we're we're focused on. And obviously, being at Micron Foundation, we spend a lot of time focusing on semiconductors, which are the little uh, wafers, chips that go on your phone, your iPad, your computer, cars, uh, Teslas, like whatever it is. Um, and uh, I'm I'm riding for it, man, because I, I have found uh, being in a room full of literally today of black engineers. Um, today who work at Micron, some of them with degrees from MIT, uh, uh, Georgia Tech, HBCUs. Like, it was amazing to see the brilliance that our people have in STEM. But, like, people yeah. want to tell this story as if we don't actually exist in STEM. And the reality is we do exist in STEM. It's just not the story we, we tell. Do we need more of us in STEM? Sure. But I just think that there's an opportunity um, and I won't even get into teacher prep because that'll gaslight you. Um, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it will. There's a responsibility if I'm going to get to solutions of really working with teacher preparation programs and all certification programs to do a better job training teachers, elementary school teachers, on how to effectively teach them. Not integrate it with literacy, but just teach STEM, right? And so I think there needs to be uh, better emphasis on that and yes they need to learn to teach reading but like gotta learn to uh, do STEM um, in our work so yeah bro so in Norfolk and uh, excited to see them young people man and like had two 
two youngins say to me today, and it's on the campus, right? It's youngins yeah. that's never been on a college campus. And uh, we work with Norfolk State University um, to actually do lunch in the cafeteria. They ain't realize that lunch in a college cafeteria isn't the same as lunch in a high school cafeteria. No, it's not. So they, they're like, yo, Simmons, like, we had choices. I could have spaghetti, burgers, whoop, 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 like, and it was just like that in their eyes. Um, and there's a yeah. picture I posted on social media, of black boys sitting around a table building this tower. And it's, it was just amazing to me to see a group of black boys happy, excited to do STEM. Uh, see, a, it was a table of, uh, of uh, young black girls uh, working on their work. And it's a real integrated group of people, right? So I think it's a testament to the quality of the program. And too, um, because as you, as you would say, like, yeah, you can have great programming, but the programming, if it isn't delivering uh, quality outcomes for kids and quality right. content, then it's just yeah. trash, which actually uh, is, is worse than uh, having uh, just a program for the sake of having a program. Yeah. But, bro, I want to commend you, man, because anytime you can get you, black bro. kids in the room and, and get them engaged in, in, uh, in, in STEM and STEAM, man, that's, that's, that's ahead of the game. But I also want to want to kind of dispel this dispel this narrative, right? Because like you hear when you hear black engineers and you hear these schools, like you hear like a Georgia Tech, you hear like a MIT, you're like a Stanford, you hear like those schools that have like really good engineering programs. Well, shit, there's HBCUs that got amazing engineering programs. As North well. Carolina A&T, like North Carolina A and T, North Carolina A T, Norfolk State, Morgan yeah. State, bro, like oh. heavy, heavy, heavy. That new and engineering thing, building. Right? And, yeah. and the thing is, is that the, the, the way in which you work with young people on STEM has to yeah. include a, the ability to enhance their STEM identity, identity at the yeah. intersection of their racial identity, right? Like, how of do course. you believe in yourself? Because we know statistically that most, most kids, if you ask them who's a scientist, they'll talk about a white dude uh, with a yeah. lab coat and a pocket yeah. coat. And I'm not yeah. knocking white dudes who do STEM. Right. Like, yeah. I think it's a noble thing for anybody to do STEM. But when we create yeah. barriers based on how we think about the world um, and yeah. function in the world based on uh, issues around race, uh, gender identity and gender, it becomes problematic because in some ways we can solve attempt to solve the wrong problem. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited uh, for that, man. Bro, So I, I've had I've had some science teachers that, that work with me, not for me, yeah. with me. Right really uh really important to name that that people are working with you and not yeah. for you right yeah. and so i've had i've had some science teachers work with me that are, are very intentional about bringing in or, or naming black scientists right um uh, latino scientists so that so that our kids can see themselves in science mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. therefore if they wanted to gravitate or pivot towards those types of fields that mm -hmm. it allows them and affords them the opportunity to be able to do that. So I think yeah. that's important for you science teachers that are out there that are watching this show. Uh, make sure that you uh, make sure these kids see themselves in the curriculum because, you know, you can't you can't be what you don't see. Say that, bro. Like, you can't yeah. be what you yeah. don't like, see. Yeah, that's so true, man. I think that, uh, you know, there's a need to also have uh, nuanced conversations about uh, black teachers, we need more black STEM teachers. There's a great report put out by Edge. Well, but not you, bro. So I'm gonna push you on this, man. I push Reef every time I hear it. I, I physically push him. <laughs> um, 
Bro, when, when I hear this, we need more black teachers, right? Like, that's important to me. I rock a T-shirt, wear a hat, do all that, right? But, man, we need good black teachers, man. We don't Fair need enough. anybody coming Fair in enough. the class. Fair enough. I, I, I received that. I, re- I received that because, you know, uh, you know, and here's the reality. Uh, 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 all skin folk and kin folk, right? So that's, that's yes. That's important to keep in mind. Uh, and, and I think that uh, you, you're 100% right. Um, now, how we define good is... is, uh, is That's subjective at times. Right? That's, that's yeah. super subjective at times. But yeah. uh, you're 100% right. And where we find them and how we go about doing it um, is, is super Im- important. Uh, so, yes, we need good STEM teachers of all races and hues, but we particularly need good black folks to be STEM teachers. If you want to leave engineering and go do teach as a STEM teacher, holler at your boy, because I love to connect you with some people uh, doing that dope work. But yeah, bro, what's going on in your world? Man, listen, um, you know, I'm blessed and highly favored, man. I'm here, uh, able to kick it with my guy. You know, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is therapeutic space. Yes, when sir. you can kick in with folks that you know are, are like minded in terms yeah, of uh, pushing pushing you where you need to be, That's so right. yeah, I'm blessed. Yeah, man. Um, but man, we got some topics that we got to get to, man. I wish H was here because you know she'd be caping. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, so the struggle with staffing continues, man. Not a, not not particularly at my school, but like I'm seeing a lot yeah. of um, I've seen a lot of articles and stuff about about districts that are um districts that are struggling right now in terms of uh in terms of uh acquiring teachers man and so want to yeah. know your thoughts on that um we kind of walk through this right and so um you know, this is a na- this is a national picture of uh of, of what yeah. things things that are happening right and um yeah. some of the things that they're seeing key findings are uh 90% of school districts changed operations in one or more of their schools at some point due to teacher shortages, man. So let's unpack that because if you got 90% of school districts that are that have one in one shape or another, in one form or another, have had to change the direction of, of, of their programming in order to accommodate the fact that um you know there's a teacher shortage. You got substitute teachers that are coming in, you got kids that are not performing at uh pre-pandemic levels and all of these things, man. What, what what are your thoughts on that, and, and what what are some advice you give to school yeah, leaders I mean, that are facing this dilemma? I mean, I think that it's a real dilemma, but I also don't think it's new. Like, I think this has been long uh, coming around the difficulty of recruiting teachers into the profession, but also people getting tired because I think in some ways we we ask a lot of teachers and we blame them for things that aren't necessarily their fault yeah. um, at times like societal things right and so i think it's hard i think as a solution one like treat the people you got right as a starting point like you know i, I think that's one part of it and then there's also conversations around looking at the literature and what does it say folks need because uh one of my doc students was saying that she's like yo simmons it ain't just the money that people want people want to feel like they have time off when whatever the time off is or they feel like they want to have 
access to the training, the professional development. Uh, no, no. Uh, what, what is it that they need? Uh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell you no. Go. Yeah, you yo, go. you bring your ass to work. Nah, bro. No. Nah, bro. No, sir. No, sir. Listen, I've, I've said this before. My argument is this, right? Okay, I'm all about mental health days, right? But yes, like sir. if you if you if you need a mental health day, right? Let's keep <laughs> let's keep it above. These kids are gonna need mental health days too, right? And so if we're not, if you're asking that, you know, we not scrutinize teacher attendance, don't don't scrutinize uh, student attendance either, right? Because like mm. a lot of times these kids have to unpack some of the things or some of the some of the things that they see in these classrooms, some of the things that you know that 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 they're being beholden to uh, by these teachers. And, and I don't necessarily know that that's a good thing all the time. Mm. Um, I think that um, grace needs to be given. And this is where we, we depart, we part ways. <laughs> bro, you're getting paid to do a job, bro. At the end but, of the day, but, you're getting paid to do a job. Uh, uh, it's not like they're doing a job where you're putting rivets in holes. Okay, fair, fair, enough. fair I, enough. I think that the mental toll and the secondary trauma that many teachers face when you love your kids is real, right? Absolutely, 100%. And so I think there needs to be a conversation about secondary trauma that's really important, right? And yep. so, yes, I agree. You're getting paid to do your job. But I also think there needs to be uh, a way in which compensation is increased for educators. Like I, I told, I've long said the entry level compensation for a teacher should be sixty thousand dollars. That's the floor. I think it should be more than that. But I, I but I, here, here's here's the thing though, right? Yeah. I think that teachers should get. I think teachers should get paid a handsome ransom. But I also think that there should be accountability measures that are put on that money. That yeah, not but, just anybody, not just anybody can earn, bro. You can't just come and just sit down and and hand out dittos and then and then get this bread that we talking about here. You can't do that, right? Like you gotta you gotta be able to to to, to move these kids, man. But like, what does it mean to move kids? Okay, so for me, what it means to move kids is that for if if I if I get a kid that's at a reading level of AA at the beginning of the year, right? And I know that that kid needs to be at a reading level F at the end of that time that I have with that kid. I need to move that kid off of that AA, right? And so AA is a reading level according to Finest and Pinnell for folks that are listening, right? I'm, that, that's how I'm measuring a kid's reading level right now. And so if that kid is still on AA at the end of the year, and, and I'm sending I'm sending this kid to the next grade for him to be the next teacher's problem who's getting the same salary that I got for the whole <laughs> year in order for that kid to still be on an AA reading level. Mm -hmm. I am not okay with that. I can never be okay with but that. But if they go from AA to C, that's progress. And you're okay with that. So if the I'm if okay with pro I'm okay with progress being made because if, if progress is being made, okay, then there are things there are things that you can put in place in order to push in order to push that kid more than what, what needs to be pushed. I agree. Here's but here's where there's a point of departure when I think about the Ed Reform crowd. 
Right. I'm not with the Everform crowd, bro. I'm, I'm with, with I'm with I'm I'm in my crowd. You in your crowd, right? I'm yeah. just my critique of the Everform crowd. Yeah. Right. Everything is Everform though. No, everything that's not everything is everything that is not the same iteration of what Absolutely. public education of what public education was intended to be is Everform. No, it's not. I need somebody okay. to tell me what Everform really is. Because black people have <laughs> been trying to fix the broken system forever. Yeah, that's Ed Reform. Ed, Ed, no, Ed Reform is a fancy that's name. Refor- that's, that's reforming the system. That's reforming the education it's, it's, system, bro. It's it's white, liberal, frightening. Okay, fine. Fine enough. I, I just like, said I'm not, a Ed, I'm not an Ed Reform person. So fair enough, know. fair enough. I think what plagues this system, right, Yeah. yeah. there aren't enough people willing to say, are there far too many people who see progress and accountability as, Okay, teacher X, the kids started at minus 100. Yeah. That kids need to be reading at grade level at the end of second grade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, third grade. Third grade. Like, yeah. if they come to me at the beginning of third grade, three yeah. years behind, I'm just using a random number. It, it happens, so go ahead. And so to get them from three years behind yeah. to grade level, like, yeah. If I don't get them there, but I get them to being one grade behind. Yeah, like, that's progress. Ha- that's progress, right? Of course. And this yeah. is where I think there has to be a holistic model of communities, philanthropy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, being involved with schools to provide additional supports where needed. Not driven by the interest of funders, philanthropists, et cetera, but by driven by the needs of the kid as told to us by experts. How many times have funded- Who the experts? Who the experts? I think I think folks in schools are the experts. I think there are researchers that have actual practical experience and understand the research who would be considered experts. I think there are people that uh, haven't been teachers. They go through these programs and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they end up in leadership roles making decisions about what kids should be doing, right? And I'm not knocking yeah. any of the programs. That's fair. All I'm saying is that if you want to get a, if you want to get knee surgery, right? I think about, uh, there's a friend of mine who uh, his son was a high school All-American two years ago in football in Virginia, Mm -hmm. blew out his knee, recruitment dried up. And I remember talking to him the day after the game. He's like, yo, I got to find the best surgeon in the world who can do this surgery. And the X, Y, and Z person from, uh, I don't know, some sports team is uh, 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 connected to him. And he went out and got this person. This person had done thousands of these surgeries, thousands of them. And that's always my argument with leadership and teaching is how come in other professions we value practice and experience, but yet in education, it doesn't translate. Like if as a parent, my 11-year-old, when he goes to um, – sixth grade this year mm. i want the best teacher that they have <laughs> i got I, I, here's my argument right fair enough <laughs> so a lot of times what you'll see right and mm. and I, I hate to say this i hate to name this right is that you'll see like this work at this unsurpassed work ethic from teachers from like year zero to year four yeah or year five or whatever that tenure yeah, yeah. structure is yeah, yeah right and then once that teacher reaches a level of tenure, right? The level of comfortability 
that is exhibited mm-hmm. by that teacher is yeah. unparalleled, right? Yeah. And so, and so, what you'll see is right. You'll see teachers that are straight. Yeah. Uh, you you play you play high school sports, bro. You know what dogging it means, right? They straight dogging it, bro. <laughs> and, 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 and so and so, but but. But we don't name it, right? Because when we name it, it's like, oh, well, you're anti-union. No, I'm not anti-union. I'm anti a bad teacher for my child, right? Like, I don't want someone that's not putting their all in terms of being a good teacher for my child. And also, bro, I've said this before. You've heard me say it. Championships are won during the summer, right? So if you are on, if, if you are a good teacher, what are you doing during these summer months right now in order to prepare yourself in order to be ready for August, September, uh, October, but, the beginning portions of the but year? When, but when do teachers rest? They rest the 20 days that they take off during the year. So, so let me track your- Bro, your, you got your, bro let me tell you something, man. You, the, the, the amount of, of, of Absences that 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 folks are seeing in this school, they're not, bro. Because there's been this great teacher resignation, etc. You don't yeah. hear, uh, you don't hear administrators on their soapboxes about how many substitute teachers, how many classes they got to cover, how many things they got to do as Fair administrators enough. in order to keep the ship from sinking, bro. But I tell you, and I say, I say, I say it to to my colleagues all the time, like when are we gonna start having difficult conversations with each other. Right, so in charter schools, like mainly, I agree. Right, I, I would in charter, agree. In, in charter schools mainly. What happens is, you know, you have a lot of charter schools. Like the culture is one in which um, you'll have teachers that will they'll they'll cover each other's classes, right? And so if they're covering each other's classes, then if you're covering somebody's class too much, then you pull up. Like, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm covering your class yeah. a lot, I'm not, and I'm not able to do the work that I need to do. So therefore, you know, what what's happening? Well, I mean, I say yes and no. I think um there's no easy solution to any of this. Right. No, I think that we're and COVID made COVID made it 20 times worse. Well, well, but it didn't have to. Right? That's the key. Yes. Is that we did not and I use we as this broad kind of statement around educators. Right, mm-hmm. where we all take a level of responsibility, whatever our role in education is, around not using this as an opportunity to change the way we fundamentally do school and of do course. it. Right. And I think, you know, people were in such a hurry to get kids back in the building as opposed to saying, like, hey, yeah, we want kids back in the building, but if the shit sucked before and yeah. kids have been away yeah. from school for two years and who knows what kids are experiencing it and and at home, right? Some kids are experiencing additional trauma at home, but yet we're not going to do anything differently. Yeah. Like, but then we're going to expect an accelerated outcome. And then people want to talk about learning loss as a result of COVID. And I always find it fascinating as a trained researcher when people like, yes, we did a study and it told, it tells us that there's a learning loss as a result of COVID. Like, you got to do a study like that's just like what? Like what? <laughs> you, you did a study to tell us, and you're stating the obvious that most people in education will tell you, yeah, if kids ain't in school, they don't get any dumber. It's just yeah. that they have not been uh, educated uh, in a learning cycle that allows for uh, growth and opportunity. But uh, I feel for administrators right now. 
I think there needs to be, from a strategy perspective, some consistent dialogue about combining schools. I know that's a yucky word. Um, I'm not saying closed schools, but I think there needs to be some conversations about combining schools, sharing teachers, uh, and and things. Bro, like that. that that would be too that would be too student focused, right? If you so so because I because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about that, right? I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, if you have a a, a teacher that's a point five. FTE, right? For folks that don't know or understand the terminology of FTE, that's full-time equivalent, right? So if you have a half a person on your staff, right? And then you can share this person that you have a 0.5 for, right? In order to remote into another school, even another school district, right? Because it keeps this person happy because they're not getting a full salary. It also offsets, um, you know, uh, the lack of a teacher at another school. Right. But we're so selfish in terms of like not really being in this work for kids to where we won't even think about reimagining what education could look like for scholars because of the arrogance that we have. Right. I, I have, I'm tracking on the arrogance and I, I find the arrogant factor in education to be disgusting. Right. And I think this arrogant factor, uh, the arrogance factor um, and the hubris uh is what blocks change for so many young people, right? And I think people, um, I, I, I've never understood that. And I always say to folks, like teaching young people will humble you if you're a great teacher. 100%, 100%. Right? Because they, 100%. I had a young person uh, pull me to the side today at Norfolk State University and say, Dr. Simmons, uh, we did this exercise and it was about um, semiconductors. What if I built a new lamp? I could improve on Carter G. Woodson, Thomas Edison, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. okay. <laughs> hey. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I, 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 I respect it. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and just to see the dots being connected by this young brother between a semiconductor which Edison and uh, uh, Louis Latimer, Carter G. Woodson, et cetera, none of them had when they were around mm -hmm. was, was super impressive, right? But he also said, well, I think what y'all need to do is allow us to take stuff apart in this particular lesson. And I was like, oh, I didn't have mm -hmm. an ego attached to it. I'm like, that's good feedback, young blood. So like, I'll figure out what that looks like. Uh, I don't know, we'd have to find things y'all could take apart, but that's an easy, <laughs> that's an easy solution to uh, solve for. But how, yeah. how often do we take student feedback and student voice and use it as opposed to just the perfunctory, yeah, I believe well, in student voice. But, but uh, yeah, that the perfunctory, I believe in student voice, but then also, again, that arrogance piece, right? And I'm glad that you're tracking that because somebody that's not yeah. you, Somebody that's not reflective, right? Could have been yeah, like, man. "Man, you lucky you even be, you lucky I even giving you this opportunity, right?" Because you know how that you know people, that's how people think. You know them people out there where they just like, man. Oh, little black brown boy, like go sit yourself yeah. down. Like you lucky that yeah. we giving you this opportunity. You ain't yeah. paying nothing to be here. We yeah. have activities, and you getting free food, etc., etc., etc. If you don't yeah. go away from here right now, and and man, I you see how they the, dog us, bro, huh? You see how they dog us, man? They yeah, man. Because, yeah, like, you know, and, and, and I think that there's this, like, uh, lack of a commitment for us to call 
other educators out, right? Because I think education- Not for me. For, well, uh, understood, right? Understood. <laughs> and this is where I do think there's this like agreement that I do have. I don't agree with you much on this whole union thing, uh, but I do agree with you on, I think the unionized culture in far too many places stymies the ability and willingness of people to critique bad teachers because they are fearful of the fallout from having to deal with the union, right? And it's and it's it's one of those moments where I always want to say to folks who are uh, hardcore union folks, mm. okay, like, and again, I used to be a hardcore union person. Me right? too, me too. So, but I've evolved over time where I'm sometimes like, yeah, but y'all are part of the problem. Like, you mean it's a deep problem? They're not part they're part of the problem. There are other problems <laughs> that, that 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 exist in the system. Uh, I understand you're the prophet of outrage against uh, uh, against the the unions. Uh, Bro, they trying to take me out. I mean, you and Stewart, man, they always trying to take y'all out. <laughs> y'all, they trying to take me out, man. They trying to take me off the earth, man. Look, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I think there is a role for the unions to protect teachers from draconian practices and policies of ridiculous administrators. I do agree. agree. I, I agree with that. However, I just find like the concept of the rubber room as an example in New York City of mm -hmm. teachers getting put on suspension for things that are clearly fireable and we still have to pay them like you just hit a kid, so what? Bro, that, that, that's that's not just exclusive to New York City, right? New York City's famous yeah. because New York City's famous because you know uh, uh, we talk about that a lot, but that's not just exclusive to Fair New enough. York City. There's a rubber room in every metropolitan that's, city. That's, that's true, right? So, given that, I just find that like, how do you hold the union accountable? But how do I also hold charter leaders accountable? um for things that they don't do uh well right like you know I, I ain't gonna name no names but like some of these charter schools with these dress codes bro yes so you you don't have, you don't have to name names but we can name names too it don't matter um bro i'm up so you you shared something the other day right and i so here i was i was thinking about how to frame this earlier right and so so in, in Baldwin's writing, right, he talks about yeah. his love for America, which gives his willingness to critique America, yep. right? And so I kind of, not that I'm comparing myself to Baldwin by yeah. any means, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But I feel like my love for charter schools there. allows me to Come openly on. critique charter Come schools. Come on, and so it. when you have name networks, that are putting kids in yellow shirts, that are putting kids in shirts that say rental, that are trying to control black and brown bodies and do all of this shit that makes it terrible for people like me that's actually out here doing the work and doing it within the confines of the rules, doing it with respect of black and brown bodies and minds and persons, right? It just makes my work that much harder. And a lot of times we don't name this, right? This is not black school leaders that's doing this, right? These are white people that come into these neighborhoods, right? That are not familiar with what's going on in the neighborhood, 
and they implement these draconian policies that are similar to uh, police policies, policing black and brown bodies. And instead of getting your kid ready to go to college, they're actually preparing your kid to go to prison. But listen, we don't talk about it. Listen, when when I shared that, uh, I was at a moment of just outrage with society in general. And I literally was going through my phone uh, and uh, I was looking for this picture that I was using in the class actually tomorrow. And um, I came across that image of the rental written on a shirt for a kid, right? And, That's wild. <laughs> and this network of schools, when it happened, caught hell from all sorts of corners, right? And admittedly, I'm biased because I ain't a fan of that network of schools. That's not my jam. I Never have been. <laughs> yeah. So like you, you already know my position on them, right? And yep. you know, and I have people that work there, like, and I respect them as people and as professionals, right? Um, but I just find the draconian nature of such things as rental on a shirt. First of all, I'm not renting anything, right? Yeah. Like my mama may not have, or my daddy may not have, my guardian, foster mother, parent, father, whatever it is, may not have had time to wash my shirt because they're working third shift. Yeah. So ain't you just happy that I'm here? Because I could have been. No, they're not just happy that you're there because nine times out of 10, that shit's after count day. And regardless of whatever school you're in, regardless of whatever school hey. you're in, after count day, uh, they already got that bread, right? And that money, Listen. a lot of times, is not traveling. Listen. When when these kids, when they when they transfer these kids out, out of these, let's schools. talk about that, bro. Listen, man, <laughs> yo, you, hey, again, my critique of charter schools comes from my love for charter schools, not hating on anybody because at the end of the day, you're gonna get away with whatever your authorizer allows you to get away with. But, but that is not going to stop like me, that, bro. right? But that's that's not going to stop me from critiquing uh, a system people, that I love, because people, I feel like I, this could, yo, charter schools could change communities, right? Especially if agreed. these authorizers start authorizing community schools that are rooted in the community, run by members of the community or members that the community trust. Man, this could be life altering in terms of giving affirming. Uh, educations to students of color. Listen, I, you would have never left if, if that was the case. You would you would still be in education. For real, right, right, facts. And here's the thing, right? I offer the same assessment, and I'm glad you used the Baldwin thing. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it definitely rings true when I think about my critique of higher education, right? Mm -hmm. And most people who watched the show before, or I've talked to before in the past, who are watching, know that I quit with tenure and was just like, nah, I ain't doing that no more, right? Yeah. And I think there's a level of similar to your assessment of unions that I think the role of tenure in higher education gets in the way sometimes of real education. Mm. Right. And because when you have 10, once you're tenured, I mean, I can't, it's harder to fire you. Right. You can it's still not, be fired. Don't get it twisted. You'll be fired. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> it is harder to fire you when you have yeah. tenure. But like the, the way your teaching evaluations are received is different, right? Yeah. Because yeah. There, there are all of these rules and boundaries. And I've, I've just found that 
it's difficult for people who are living the, the, the higher ed life in the same way that I was in terms of being on a tenure track, friends of mine who are deans, they don't take kindly to the critique and feedback. And yeah. I, I just find it to be really fascinating that, you know, we, we, uh, we want that they're willing to critique K-12 in their, you know, if they get a kid that's not prepared, if they get a kid that's not prepared, they get a kid that has to do remedial classes or whatever, right? They man, them, hey, them fingers is pointed or whatever, right? That's right. But yeah. but, so, but here, here's the here's the thing, and I, yeah. I always say higher ed is trash, and here's why: because if you at, at any at any given position in K twelve, get a kid or you receive a kid, right, that is behind grade level, you still got to work your ass off in order to get that kid to grade level. And to get that kid ready to be prepared for college, whereas in higher ed, once you get that, once that kid is a freshman and you've identified the fact that hey, this kid didn't come to college prepared, then it's like, oh shit, we're just gonna kick him out of college, right? There is no plan. There yeah. is no plan in higher ed. That's like, all right, well, we're gonna gear or, or, or put a certain allocate a certain amount of budget towards. Um, remediation, making sure that these kids get what they need, doing a, a, an assessment or an audit of you. Matter of fact, I feel like in higher ed, you should be doing an audit of the K-12 system so that you can have conversations with people that are in K-12 in order to say, hey, here are the gaps. Here, Here's where you need to fill in the gaps in terms of what's happening. Right? But, I think and, the, but there's a hierarchy that I think is about power. Right. Yeah, and I think of it as, as like being in my role in uh, at the foundation where my understanding of nonprofits and schools is very different than other people uh, that I've talked to in other foundations because I've yeah. actually done it before. Right. Yeah. So I think that like this and I don't see this hierarchy. I actually find it helpful to learn from you know, you and eight. So should so so shouldn't they be getting off their ass and in these, these ivory towers? Shouldn't they be? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that propel them to be in the classroom? Radical, this isn't even a radical idea. I remember one time I went into a meeting and said to them, uh, you know, uh, I'll leave names off for now. Uh, I said, well, so let me understand. It was a community engagement class that I was teaching at the time, and I said, well, you want me to teach a community engagement class in schools about schools? with young people, but it's not going to be taught inside of a school. Like, how is that possible? And it, it actually happened, right? I moved the class in the, to, to inside of a school um, at Hollabird Elementary, and it's still a partnership with this particular class many years later. But, but how do you allow faculty to be learners as well as scholars? I'm, I'm not sure that that's the makeup of, of higher education. Um, at the moment. That's why the shit is trash. No, like <laughs> that's why it's trash. trash. Right. Like I think I didn't say it's it, all trash. You know, you know some I, parts I, of higher ed is trash. Some parts, correct. When I when, when Rob, when a teacher yeah. can come to you after four years correct. of being in an education program. I went to school to be a teacher. When a teacher says to you, I went to school to be a teacher, starting yeah. from freshman year all the way to the senior year of a four-year program. And then when that teacher comes to you the first day of being on the job, after doing their student teaching, 
doing all the things they needed to do in order to become certified in a school district. And then that teacher says to you, man, I didn't know how hard this work was going to be. I am not prepared for this work. That tells me. Huh? I, I, I think there's nuance to that. You know, I like, I can't have a show. Yeah, you're the king of nuance. There's nuance, right? Like, <laughs> okay. one, it doesn't matter how much trend, it's like being prepared for the NBA, right? I'll just use okay. that as an example, because you're a hooper, right? right? You could be a McDonald's All-American. You can be a, high, a college All-American. But everything mm-hmm. that I've read about guys transition, right, in sports, is that when you go up a level, it's game changing. In particular, mm-hmm. when you go from college to the pros because the game is faster. And yeah. it takes you a year or two. And you've had training. And for most of these guys who make it to the NBA, they aren't overnight sensations. Of course not. Right. They've been playing since they were five or eight or whatever it is. Right. And they've honed yeah. their have They played against some of the best in the world. It's not new, but once they get to the pros and you're a night, let's say you're 19 years old coming out of, I don't know, whatever school you make it, you're playing against grown men. Like you're playing yeah, against you men who are playing for their families so their families can eat and they want to build generational wealth. The game is officiated different and it takes you a little bit to figure it out. It doesn't matter. Okay, that, that's fair. That's fair. So but I, how, how, how can you cut through the chase? I think there has to be this uh, set of support mechanisms set up for teachers. But there's and another I, way to cut to the chase. There's another way to cut to the chase. If you did the first, if you so if you did the first two, the first two years, sort of like a community college, right? And okay. and those and, and the first two years were the pre prerequisites, right? Mm. Of, of 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 you uh, and basically gave you an associate's degree, right? Mm-hmm. And then you did a two-year learning model in a school, right? Mm. Assigned to a teacher, right? And then at night, you had classes that were, that were, uh, that uh, tightened you up in terms of content, in terms of your content knowledge. So you were getting content knowledge and on-the-job experience at the same time, right? So it's basically interweaving an out route program with a traditional four year program, right? So now you get the best of both worlds. It's labor intensive, and the way that you offset it is by paying these these young people salaries. They become salaried employees, right? I can I can um, put you on this. I can possibly possibly as as um not as a, a not as a teacher because they wouldn't be certified teachers, but definitely as an aide. So you pay them as aides, right? Allow them to have benefits. Um, allow them to have all the things that that would make them want more in terms of like, all right, well, I'm an aide now, but I know in two years, you know, if I keep, you know, I okay. keep the steady progress, I'm gonna be a teacher. I I can roll with you on that. Like, I'm not opposed to that, and I do think that uh, I don't know that I would say. So I'm an ad reformist. Man, y'all can keep that ad reform bullshit. <laughs> like, I need somebody to respond. <laughs> That's made up white neoliberal. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, and then I want to ask, like, how has ad reform worked? And then, like, I don't know. Exactly. Like, we're still in the same situation we started with. Like, so. No, it's just worse. The COVID made it worse. Hold up. Matter of fact, let's get, let's get back. Man, you got me drearing off. So, <laughs> so, 
So the seventy-four. Shout out to the seventy-four. Uh, they did an article. They did an article today about. Yeah. Um, so it's based off of the NWEA research, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing uh, post-COVID is, um, is you're seeing that um, I think overall the takeaways were uh, compared to pre-COVID sample of student compared to a pre-COVID sample of students who took assessments, reading scores are two to four percentile points lower. And math scores remain five to ten points lower. Uh, high poverty schools, as well as Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous students, are having a harder time bouncing back, uh, according to the data. And so, again, this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the show. You knew that these were going to be the things that were going to happen based off of history based off of data based off of trends based off of the way data trends but based off of the fact that when these same kids black brown and indigenous kids left school yeah they were already behind in general what do people think was going to actually happen when it's exacerbated by the twin pandemics actually a triple pandemic of isolation from other kids covid and the racial reckoning uh that was long overdue right yeah. Like, what, what yeah. did people actually think was going to happen? And that's, and again, this is where I just look at people who, oh my God, Robert, there was this amazing research about learning loss during the pandemic. Like, I mean, what y'all think was actually going to happen? Thought it going to come out of the pandemic smarter? Like, better <laughs> learn? Like, what? No, like, absolutely not. Like, I, I don't Bro. Know. After so, the, I feel like after the first after the first year, right? So like after the first year when you had to like so in in the spring when you had to make that hard pivot, yeah. right? In terms of like you know going uh, virtual and all of the things that you should have invested in your infrastructure, knowing that what the fall was going to look like. Uh, there was money that was allocated by the federal government that allowed you to you know that allowed you to kind of make those advances, right? Um, I feel like a lot of districts didn't do what they needed to do, right? They didn't prepare. They didn't invest in their infrastructure. And so when teachers were rebelling, like, hey, I'm not coming into that building. That building is not safe. That's fair, right? That is when I'm okay with unions doing their job because at the end of the day, I don't want anybody putting their life at risk in order to be a teacher, right? So, like, I don't think that that's – I don't think that's that's a necessary element of being an educator. I think that that's a major difference between being a frontline a doctor or nurse and being an educator, right? So, like, when you, you take a Hippocratic oath in order to go in and, like, be accountable for lives or whatever, that's totally different than saying, hey, I'm going to be yeah. a teacher and I'm going to, huh? No? Yeah. I think this is where I actually would fall in line with you and you're like, you get paid to show up. Where, really? Yeah, like I, I just but feel, safely, like in under safe circumstances. I think I, yeah, yeah. I think it's complicated, and like I think protecting not more nuance, more nuance. Yeah, I think it's complicated, <laughs> right? And here's the thing, right? And somebody asks me all the time. They're like Simmons, like you love nuance, and they're like you love nuance because your mother's a librarian and you read all these damn books all the time. And I'm yeah. like, true. I'm always a learner because my mother is a librarian so like i love books yeah. and i'm like but the thing is is that i find when people become intellectually lazy society dies yeah and yeah. i just think schools are dying a slow death because we become intellectually lazy 
and not willing to have the hard conversations about this type of stuff, right? And 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 figure out there are no easy solutions to finding more teachers. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? And I yeah. think, you know, there is no there is no single thing that a, a school leader can do to help them find enough teachers to fill all their vacancies. Like it's just not that unless they get, I don't know, some money from somewhere to offer bonuses. But even yeah. then there are limitations to that. Um, yeah. But with that said, <laughs> you know, th- there's just a need for people to accept the fact that for black teachers, yeah, our ancestors showed up to teach us amidst Jim Crow. Yeah amidst i don't know hell they ain't even had no vaccine for whatever they was dealing with back in the day because they wouldn't give it to black folks right like let's start with that yeah i just think that while yes i want to protect teachers and i don't want teachers to be sick but i also feel like one of the safest places for our kids oftentimes is in schools yeah so at what point is there a responsibility for us as a community to support teachers who are going to go in and be frontline workers, food, extra pay, providing child care for their own children. They should be at the front line for vaccines. So absolutely. So yeah, I want to shout out my staff, right? I want to shout out the staff at the Riverhead charter school because Hey, they came through for our kids. Right. And so, you know, um, there were some parts, some points in time that it was rough, but we made it work. They gel together as units. Uh, they didn't complain much okay. about having to cover colleagues' classes. They did okay. what they had to do. They acted as professionals, right? But and so I appreciate them. But how, how much, uh, when you look back as a school leader, and it would be interesting uh, for a study of folks like yourself who who navigated school leadership during the early parts and throughout the pandemic, what yeah. leadership lessons did you take away from it? So the leadership lessons that I took away from it is, man, you got to invest in your infrastructure, right? So like, you know, I'm, I'm really big on that. So like when we knew that, hey, we were going to have to, when we knew we were going to have to buy Chromebooks and like there was this tax, this black tax, I like to call it, that was put on those units to where, because everybody mm-hmm. wanted, everybody wanted them, right? Um, they then, you were paying double for the unit, right? So instead of paying $170, uh, during the pandemic, some of those units were like three hundred and fifty dollars, right? Mm-hmm. But you still had to make that investment in order to get our kids what they needed, right? And so for me, like you know, I had the wherewithal to be able to make calls to be able to say, "Hey, let me uh, let me tap this network, let me tap this person, let me tap that person, or whatever," to, in order to lower the cost for our school, mm-hmm. in order for us to get everything that we needed, right? Um, my CFO shout her out because she's amazing. Right. Um, she makes the necessary adjustment adjustments in, uh, in in those budget lines in order to make sure that I have access to the funds that I need in order to make the recommendations to my board that I need to make to my board. Right. And so, you know, we always we uh, we build our budget based off of student needs. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also family needs as well. Making sure that we have budget lines in order to accommodate situations but- like this. But here's the thing, right? Like, I think uh, you, H, and I have had all sorts of roles in schools, running schools, like all sorts of budgeting things. And I think 
there's a need for UNH in particular to educate the broader education community and other school leaders about effective school budgeting, right? Yeah. I think- <laughs> First and foremost, that money ain't yours, right? How about Correct. we start there? Correct. Right? Because like a lot, of people, right. a, lot of, a lot of people, they look at this bread and they're like, hey, you know, like it's my own personal money. Yeah, like it's not. going into my Bank of America account. Yeah, no, it, it is not. It is dumbass. You it, are a not-for-profit. You are not-for-profit, which means that you shouldn't really be carrying over anything. All that money should be invested in the kids. And so, well, uh, I mean, that's a little carryover because you want to have a cushion I, yeah, and you want to have, yeah. But I think some. A, yeah, I, I think there's an ongoing conversation to be had about how do you run a budget when things get tight and i think yeah yeah yeah. what i heard you name is you have a cfo not every school leader both in charter or public school district is fortunate enough to have someone on their team who understands finance in that way so i think that there's a need for folks to really prioritize given school leaders. But that, go, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, man. If you don't have a CFO, then there's a point, you can point five a CFO if you, if you, because like a lot of times, like you can share, you can share resources in terms of like, I will, let me make this budget for you or whatever. But again, that, that arrogance piece to where like, I'm so arrogant to where like, I only want my school to succeed. I don't want anybody else's school to succeed without thinking about the fact that these are kids that we're talking about here, man. Like, if my school succeeds, then kids succeed. And if your school succeeds, then kids succeed. And so that's, that's why for me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing this whole charter versus public school, charter versus private school, charter versus any school. I love the system that I'm in, but I also love for students yeah. to be successful, right? So, like, if you're in a yeah. traditional public school and that shit is rocking out, then I'm going to shout you out. I'm going to wear your stuff on a black hand podcast i'm gonna do all that if it's a private school same thing because at the end of the day i want black kids to be in a better situation and i know that they can be in a better situation if they have the education that they need in order to break that generational curse bro. yeah i i I just find the whole debate just to be really frustrating because i always say to folks the same people who believe in self-determination i always say to them okay then tell me why you don't believe in charter schools because the only way to leverage the understanding of self-determination in education if you want to build a new school is not to go through the traditional public school system because it doesn't work that way. So, like, what are we talking about here? But, uh, yeah. Hey, bro, so the, t- the title of this episode was... Uh, was <laughs> Listen, man, we got to talk about this. We're going to end with this, man. I'm not going to go through this without talking about this. So, bro, listen. You got some folks out here, man, that don't want to play. They don't want to pay for black genius, man. They want to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, um, you know, can I get some advice on this? Or, hey, can you walk me through that? Or, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Right. And so there's a level of expertise that we all have that we yield to people, you know, just on the humble as a friend or whatever. Right. When we know that when they get on the phone with certain people of different hues, right, that they're getting an invoice. Right. And they're paying that invoice. They're gladly paying that invoice, right? So why am I giving you, why are you leveraging my intellectual property and not paying me anything for it 
and paying others for it. Like, that shit is not okay, bro. And so let's talk about it because I know that you've been hoodwinked before, too. First of all, here's the thing, right? Yeah. I always, I always say to my people, I'm always available to folks that are in my network that I know have the best, my best interests at heart, and they're not trying to use me for information, right? And so whether it's you or H, like, it's no service charge for that. Because I can pick up the phone first thing in the morning at 7.30, 6.30 and get you, not H, because, you know, H don't get up till 11. Although I take that back. She's in the chat. She's in the chat. Although if 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 I need some, H will answer at eight o'clock, but not before. Uh, not before eight o'clock, no. Not before, and not before not before her Folgers. <laughs> oh no no no! Coffee. She 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 don't drink Folgers. She drinks that 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 uh, Dominican coffee in the yellow packet. Right. She gets her coffee. Once she gets her coffee going, then uh, we good. But I don't have no problem with that, right? But yeah. what I find problematic is um, when folks want you to do things not just for free, free and less than market value, right? Like, yes! And, and like, I remember <laughs> I had a friend call me one time. I ain't going to put him on the street. And he's like, yo, somebody asked me to come speak. And they wanted to pay me like $500. And I was like, what? I was like, well, how long do you have to speak? Oh, it's a it's a keynote for X number of minutes. And da, 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 da. I said, well, have you looked at the budget? Nah, but you know, it's a great organization and such, 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 such. I said, well, but you got people running around here with less notoriety than you. You have people running around here less accomplished than you, right? Because you do have people with notoriety and no accomplishments, but that's another, that's another, <laughs> that's another episode. That's a whole other episode uh, <laughs> that I, I don't want to get into. But like, you know, notoriety and accomplishments. And you can put a sentence together with uh, nouns, adverbs, verbs, adjectives, etc. The subject getting a predicate. Yeah, and it all makes sense <laughs> if you know how to do appropriate work. And they want you to 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 come for five hundred dollars because the other people they coming for ten thousand dollars. And uh, I, I just find it to be super fascinating to watch it play out because I've seen it play out over. Yeah. And over again. And I always look yeah. at my people and be like, but why? Like, why are you allowing <laughs> to be played out like an eight track? And yes. I, but, but, there's I a but. That, yeah, there's a but. Because I think that when you're, when you, when you do the work for the love of the work, mm. when you do the work, and you know that if you aren't the voice of reason in that room, shit might go left or right. Yes. Yeah. People are more inclined to do that. And and I, I'll give you an example, right? I remember having someone ask me to come speak at a uh, PWI. This is when I was in, in fully in higher ed. And I was like, all right, well, this is the date, such, 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 blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's going to cost, we'll pay you $700. And I was like, for a workshop for longer than an hour. <laughs> what are we doing here, right? But also knew that at this PWI, the black students may not 
see somebody who looked like them on the faculty. There were no black faculty yeah. in this department. So I was like, okay. However, here's my standard fee. Yeah. I'll accept 750, but understand I'm doing this for these young people because I want to make sure that they know that there are people who look like them who can be tenured professors in higher ed. Yeah. And, you know, and I did it. And to this day, they're for the young people that I've stayed in touch with and I've mentored them, right? And they're principal, two principals, uh, one's uh, a teacher and the other uh, is a director in a nonprofit, right? And I feel like I yeah. that that was worth $750 because I did it for the culture. So I think there's this balance that we have when you do the work for the work and for the impact. But I also think you should get paid and compensated because your time is valuable, especially when you have family, when you have other other engagements and responsibilities. So I think that, um, you know, there's there's this, you know, kind of thin line that I, I, I am not quite sure, like, how do you get there other than, you know, the cost is the cost, the fee is the fee. So I ain't doing nothing for the culture. Uh, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah, and I thought to defend the price going up. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I respect that. I respect that. I, I, I think that, uh, it also depends on people's financial situation, right? Like I know my situation over the years has evolved and changed. And like, there were points in my professional career as a first year faculty member where I was making fifty five, sixty thousand $60,000, where I made less than I was at you want me to come speak for A's and, and a Coke? Man, bet. I ain't got to pay for that, so I'm coming for that Coke. Throw in an extra Coke for my homeboy uh, and throw in an extra bag of Doritos. So I think that, you know, people have different... Bro, hey, Doray, we need to do an episode on Doritos. But hey, let me close this out. I'm putting you on final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, it's a blessing to be uh, working with Norfolk State University and seeing so many young people really excited about STEM. I think the future in our society around STEM and the future uh, engineers uh, is bright. And, and I just wanna shout out uh, the president of Norfolk State University, the executive directors of uh, Steam Truck, Marsha Francis. And Bro, COINTEL Pro trying to take us out, but no worries, I got my brothers back. Um, you've been listening to Three Times Dope Podcast. I don't have a final thought. H, we miss you. Don't worry. We riding for you, babes. All right, we'll see you guys next week, 8 o'clock, regular time. Peace.